This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Has the everything bubble burst? Hmm. And is it one of those things triggered by the unexpected? The arrest of the Huawei CFO triggering another big sell-off on Wall Street on Friday and uh, over at Zero Hedge, which I I highly recommend. Very entertaining and um, oftentimes insightful. Oh, they're getting the ambassador involved, Terry. What Brand said, the former governor of Iowa. Yeah, he's been whistled. Uh, oh yeah, whistled to talk to the Chinese communists. Uh, the everything bubble, though, is it burst? All of the sort of uh, phoniness of the economic vitality that was the proximate cause of free and loose monetary policy, and the quantitative easing. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Has it uh, burst, and we're going to see big corrections, not just with respect to Wall Street, but across our economy with these debt loads we've been piling up, with reblowing up the housing bubble? Is all that coming to the end in the very near term, and is it going to be even more severe, potentially, this recession that's projected by some in 2020 than was the Great Recession of 2007? To answer all of these questions and more, we're pleased to be joined by our own in-house Nostradamus. He is James Pathakoukas, CNBC contributor and columnist for the American Enterprise Institute. James, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, now, now that I know that you're a, a reader of uh, Zero Hedge, yes. it explains a lot. <laughs> it explains your, your extreme pessimism, your belief that we've been in a bubble since about 1913, yes, your expectation correct. that we still have fire and brimstone raining down on us. Uh, all has become clear, yeah. That is, well, that um, 1913, the institution of the income tax, and we've been blowing that uh, bubble up ever since, James. Yeah. That's what I say. Uh, no, hey, but, okay, I'm not, I'm not, be right, right? I'm not as apocalyptic as Zero Hedge sometimes is, but... There is like a lot of talk amongst people more measured than some of the contributors at Zero Hedge about uh, real estate, about uh, the trade policies being a trigger for a, a real correction on Wall Street and other such matters. So what do you say about where we stand at this point? I think where we stand is that uh, we've uh, we, we've had a big, big, big increase in debt. Uh, I don't think it's a sort of national debt levels that are going to cause a crisis. Uh, we, we've had a lot of stimulus uh, to the economy, both uh, in terms of government spending and these tax cuts. Uh, I'm not sure I would have added a lot of stimulus this late in an economic expansion. So, I mean, I think, okay, I'm going to put the apocalyptic uh, forecast aside. I think what we're facing here is a slowing economy. Um, the Federal Reserve doesn't have a great record in slowing economies, so they don't push them into recessions. I don't think it's crazy that we might have a uh, uh, have a recession. But of course, remember the point here: the whole "Make America Great Again" point is that we're supposed to be ushering in a new golden age yes. of fast economic growth. Um, actually, what it looks like is that we did a bunch of temporary juicing that's going to put the economy basically exactly where it was before the president took office, but just with a lot more debt. 
So do you think we'll have a recession in 2020? Well, you know, we might. Uh, again, the Fed doesn't have a great record uh, when it's raising interest rates to just slow the economy, you know, enough. Off, you know, most recessions have started because the Federal Reserve is trying to keep the economy from overheating and raises rates too much. Uh, I think certainly we're seeing a slowing economy. And again, that's not what the president forecasted. The president no. said that these tax cuts were going to usher in higher growth, more investment, higher productivity, the extension of this of this expansion into a, into a boom. Um, maybe that still happens. There are all the signs are pointing uh, in the other direction, and, and 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 then starting a trade war, also not helping. So I'm not sure. Uh, where the fixing of the economy, when that's supposed to kick in, because it looks like it's kind of getting unfixed. Well, here's the thing. Uh, now who's being the pessimist, James? I know. Oh. Here, here, here's the thing. Meow. Uh, uh, <laughs> you two ladies. Come you on. did too. Uh, deregulation and tax cuts in the first 18 months of the Trump administration, that certainly were, those were pro-growth measures, and that certainly at least in part, explains the fairly decent growth, including wage growth for the first time, real wage growth for the first time in 15 years in the first 18 months, doesn't it? Well, actually, I, I think if you look at the right inflation measures, we've been having real wage growth probably since, you know, 2013. Listen, I like deregulation. I like lowering the corporate tax rate. I don't like uh, not paying at all uh, for, the, for, for these tax cuts. And adding more government spending yeah. on top of it. Listen, no, everyone, no one would not, ex- everyone would expect to have like a, a sudden burst of growth when all that money's flooding the system. That's not the point. The point is to sort of increase business investment, which increase productivity, which raises living standards over the long term. But would you? Uh, but would you agree that that, that that apparently is not happening? Yeah, but would you agree? I mean, if, if the the feedback I've gotten from business people I talked to in a lot of different sectors is. It was the deregulation in the in the first uh, two years of the Trump administration that has been much more impactful on me making uh, investment decisions to grow my business than than the tax cuts, for example. And so uh, we'll get to the trade in a second. But but I mean, the deregulation seems like it's an underappreciated part of this story. And maybe it should be amplified more so the president continues on that track. Well, if you take the deregulation and you take the tax cuts. Uh, and then you also look at a, a chart of business investment in the United States. It's imperceptible. You don't you, you, you wouldn't notice any you wouldn't notice anything different. One reason is that the deregulation a lot of just because you announce deregulation, uh, there's a back and forth. They have to open up for public comment. It doesn't happen right away. Right. And again, right. the tax cuts uh, you know have, haven't been in place that long. But you might expect to see higher business investment. Actually, business investment looks to be slowing. Uh, not accelerating, which I know even many conservative economists are sort of surprised, or perhaps they shouldn't be, given that you also have uh, a trade war going on and you have an already large national debt uh, headed higher. All right. So today, this Chinese tech executive, she's going to be back in a Canadian courtroom. They're going to decide what happens to her next. Do, is there going to be volatility on the stock market again because uh, we're in limbo here with what the United States is going to do with this lady? Yeah, listen, there might be. Um, we had this trade agreement, which didn't really look like a trade agreement. And then uh, both sides, China and the United States, seemed to be you know, saying something different. And it was really just an agreement to talk more. Uh, so that, I mean, that is like the very definition. I mean, nothing I just said seemed very certain. So it's like the very definition of uncertainty. 
And then you have this, this issue uh, with the executive, which also tends to suggest that perhaps there is a long-range plan here to really disentangle the economy, particularly the technology sector of China and the United States, which then goes into, you know, we obviously we, we sell a lot to China. Uh, China buys a lot of, you know, they buy a lot of Apple phones. Uh, so those are have huge, uh, a huge amount of economic disruption. So, I mean, uh, it sounds cliche, but there is just a lot of uncertainty with what's happening with the economy, what's happening with the Fed, what's happening uh, with this trade war, which recall, which recall the president's famous quote, trade wars are easy to win. This does not look so easy. No, it does not. And uh, your uh, friend and colleague there, Larry Kudlow, is doing yeoman's work to try to advance the flag. But I'm not sure how much progress we're making either. I'm very concerned about that. The other After thing, all those lectures by Kudlow, we still get the president saying, you know, I'm, I'm tariff man. Yes, so I'm not sure I know. how much the lectures have worked. I know. I hear you. Um, let me ask you about Brexit, uh, whether or not uh, May pushes off the vote to, that's scheduled for tomorrow. Uh, how important is uh, the outcome of Brexit in the U.K. and, the, frankly, the potential of uh, unrest spreading from the Yellow Vests in Paris to the U.K. and perhaps uh, elsewhere in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of kind of global economic growth and impact on America's economy? Well, I would like people to draw the lesson uh, that these sorts of, uh, you know, feel-good populist moves have actual economic consequences that may not be so big. Listen, uh, France needs to undergo a lot of economic reform. They, they still have over a 9% unemployment rate. Uh, and uh, if you look at the demands of those yellow investors, it's for it's sort of for it's for the big rock candy mountain of economics. I mean, they, they want lower taxes. They want more government services. Uh, math doesn't really work there uh, in Great Britain. Uh, I think there's little doubt that so far, uh, uh, Brexit, Brexit and the uncertainty has slowed economic growth to some degree there. Um, you know, that's bad. And then you have in this country where, again, sort of populist economics, which don't acknowledge sort of experts and traditional economics or constraints in government policy, such as adding a buttload of stimulus and an economy fairly close to full employment, already kind of operating at, at its economic potential, uh, there might be there might be a, an impact, and the impact is you have a now you have the Fed raising interest rates, um, possibly leading to recessions, lower growth, more debt. Um, sometimes reality is going to reinsert itself into the process, and perhaps that's what we're seeing. Uh, so, you, would you say that to Joy Reid, uh, the uh, luminary from MSNBC, Joy Reid, her tweet that uh, gotta say Emmanuel Macron impresses me every time I see him. Lucky France having a young, solid, urbane president. Would you say that's a tweet that that's a while ago? But would you say that's a tweet that (laughs) that didn't uh, didn't age well? Would you say in terms of Macron and Paris? Well, uh, I mean, riots riots aren't a good sign. Uh, One hundred thirty-four people injured. But Macron's also trying to institute actual needed changes in the in, in the French economy. Listen, every. Everything isn't always easy. Sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes you actually have to take difficult decisions that may cause near-term pain, and perhaps the French aren't, aren't ready for that. Uh, but some, at some point, the illusion ends, and they have to operate in a competitive global economy, and you have Europe as a whole unable to grow very fast, still very high unemployment, unable to participate in sort of the tech revolution that we're seeing in the United States and even in China. I mean, they have the where are their big technology companies? They don't exist. Obviously, there's something fundamentally wrong 
uh, with the European economy. And uh, I think Macron's trying to address that, and maybe the people aren't ready to hear it. Well, I mean, but is one of the other takeaways that uh, junk science breeds junk economics, and so the carbon tax that was sort of the spark that led to this uh, conflagration? Well, uh, you know, I'm not— I'm, uh, I'm not a believer that climate change is junk science, but it does show you that uh, probably if you're going to deal with climate change, it's probably going to have to be through uh, spending money on investment, uh, and that money's probably not going to come uh, from a carbon tax. I mean, there's, there's always efforts in the United States to, re- to revive this idea. Um, uh, and, you know, if it's not going to go ahead in, in France, it's probably not going to go ahead in the United States. Yeah, well, but are you a believer that we should uh, eliminate all fossil fuels on Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's timeline? Uh, when does she want? When does she want to get rid of them? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yesterday. <laughs> uh, see, that that would seem unlikely, but I think I I think that you know over the long term we're probably we're probably going to be moving. I, listen, does, I don't know where is she on nuclear power. I would be. I'm very. Yeah. That's sort of my gauge. If, if you're if you're a uh, if you're a believer in the science of climate change and you're worried, but you're also against nuclear power, then I'm skeptical of where you're coming from. All right, fair enough. He is James Pathakoukas, CNBC contributor, columnist for the American Enterprise Institute. Jimmy, thanks for joining us as always. Appreciate it. Uh, go get him, guys. Thank and you. He joined us on our turnkey.